Today we are in week six of our nine-part series in the book of James. James is a very, very short book, only five chapters, would take you probably 10 to 15 minutes to read the whole thing, but we're taking nine weeks to just kind of methodically work our way through so we can allow these words from this guy named James, who was who is literally the half-brother of Jesus, uh, to sink into our hearts. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah while he was here. I mean, he was his half-brother. I mean, what would it take for your half-brother? to convince you that he's the Messiah. Uh, But I think one of the greatest evidence that that Jesus is who he said he was, that he actually did rise from the dead, is that James, the author of this book, would lay down his life in service to Jesus. He starts off this letter as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, He was fully devoted follower of Jesus. He was a pastor, this church in Jerusalem, and they are scattered. They're a scattered church, much like we are today. They couldn't gather physically for services because of persecution. People were literally being killed for their faith. And hey, today we find ourselves as a scattered church. Uh, we're scattered physically, but we're also scattered uh, emotionally. Some of us scattered uh, mentally, some of us scattered relationally. And, and, and James, he offers practical advice to a scattered church to help us pull it all, pull it all back in bounds. And as we're going to find out, James is a pretty, pretty straight shooter. And so if you're a a bottom line kind of person, just shoot it to me straight, then (laughs) you're going to love James. And so again, this is week six. If you missed any of the previous weeks, they're all on our website, centralsj.org. You can check those out there and get brought up to speed. But we're going to pick right back up where we left off last week in James chapter 3. And today we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And uh, just five short verses, but some very powerful content for our day-to-day life. And here's what we're going to discover, that James is going to present two different kinds of wisdom. He's going to present two different kinds of wisdom. And here's the deal. You get to choose which one you want. Wisdom that comes from above or wisdom that comes from below, but this is the kind of exam, this is the kind of option that we don't just select cognitively, we choose our options by the lifestyle we, we live. And so James, he, he's going to present these two kind of options, wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And he starts off with the question, who is wise? And here's what he says in James uh, chapter three, verse 13, he says this, who is wise and understanding among you? And that's a good question for us. And remember who, who James is talking to. He's talking to a church, to a group of people that are, are living in the midst of chaos. And he's saying, who's navigating the chaos with wisdom? He's writing to a scattered church. They're, they're literally being killed for their faith. Spouses, kids, husbands, literally dying for the sake of Christ. Like, can you imagine what this church was experiencing and he's asking who, in the midst of all that, who's living with wisdom and understanding. Here's what the Hebrew word for wisdom means. The Hebrew word simply means a skill in, in living. It's not just cognitive knowledge. It's not just cognitive understanding. It's, it's this application of life. It's skilled living. Another That's why why Proverbs actually says this. He says, Proverbs says that wisdom's supreme. Like above all else, if you're gonna pursue anything in life, chase down wisdom. In week one of this series, I gave you this 
this definition of wisdom, and, and it simply says this, that, that here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the spiritual capacity to see, evaluate life, and to behave from God's vantage point. So from God's point of view, we have this ability to see, evaluate life, and to behave. The Bible promises that wisdom is, it's available. And James is just asking who's, who's, who's functioning in this vein right here, right now. And here's why this is so important for you and me today. It, Jesus said this in John 10, 10, he, he just lays out the purpose statement of your enemy and the purpose statement of of Jesus. And here's what he says, John 10, 10, the thief, your enemy and mine, here's his purpose. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. Like he's coming to wreak havoc on your life. Like he's not just coming to trip you up. His, his objective is to destroy you. You have a very real enemy and you need to we need, we need to understand that. We need to, we need to not just brush that to the side and think of some uh, fictitious character on our shoulder. No, no, no. You have a very real enemy and his, his objective is to ruin your life. But Jesus, you have a very real savior. And here's his purpose statement. I came, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And it requires wisdom from above to live this rich and satisfying life. Or you can apply wisdom from below and here's what you're gonna reap, death destruction and, 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 and chaos at every turn. And James is just gonna reiterate these words of Jesus and say, you got an option here, people. There's wisdom from above and you can live that. Or there's wisdom from below and that's unfortunately a very viable option for all of us as well. So he says, who is wise? Who is wise? Like, like who is skilled at life? And he says this, who, who, is, who is wise in understanding? Uh, this word understanding, this is the only place in your entire New Testament where this word is used. And here's what it means. It's, it means to be a specialist, to be a, a trained professional in this arena of, uh, of life, in any arena of life. Uh, for example, uh, my friend, Pat, Pat Regan, uh, he's an awesome mechanic. Like if you need your car fixed, go to Scotty's Automotive and ask for Pat because Pat's got the hookup. Like, like Pat knows how to, he's a specialist. He's a trained professional. Like for me, like my mechanical expertise ends at like putting bread into the toaster. Like that's about my lid on mechanical uh, navigation. But Pat, like I can just call him. He's like, what's going on? And like, he can diagnose it over the phone. Like, like he's made more progress in a two minute phone call than I can make in, in hours of effort. He's a specialist. And that's what James is saying here. Not in regards to your car, but in regards to your life. Who is skilled at living? Who is the specialist at navigating life, especially in the midst of difficult seasons and trying times? And James's hope for his church then, and my hope for our church here today, is that we'd be able to loud and proud raise that hand. You look no further. You got me. I'm a, I'm a trained specialist at navigating life. I'm an expert at this thing. You, the crazier it gets, the more my skill level just increases. And while that may not be true of all of us watching this today, it is James' hope that we would be those kind of people. And he gives some practical wisdom, some practical advice to, to live out, to deploy that kind of lifestyle. So he goes on to say this in, in James chapter 
3.13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And he says, let them show it by, by good life, by deeds done in humility. That comes from wisdom. That comes from wisdom. And so, so he's gonna present two options. Here's the first option, wisdom that comes from below. Uh, you, you, you probably don't want this kind, but here's what he says. Uh, James chapter 3, 14 through 16, it says this. Um, but if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, don't, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Like, like let's just be honest about it. That word uh, bitter, that, that's like, uh, uh, it, it was used in context of like a spring that was, was full of contamination. It was like drinking water, but you couldn't drink it. It was, it was full of toxins. And when it's partnered with this, this word bitter, bitter envy, and it could literally be translated, but if you are resentfully jealous, like if, you, if you're, you're jealously resentful, then, then just be very honest with that. And again, remember who James is writing to. He's writing to a, a group of people that are being persecuted for their faith. And it'd be very easy to become bitter. Well, they did this. Well, the government's doing that. Well, well these people, they, they, I'm just trying to serve God. Where is it? And we can become bitter. We can become, become jealous of like other people that don't have that, that problem that maybe you have. He says, but, but if you harbor bitter envy or, or selfish ambition, he says. Now, now selfish ambition is, is a word in the, in the Greek that times that used, became used of individuals that would jump into politics and they would, they would jump into this political office but not to serve the people, but rather to serve their own means of gratification. They would use their position of authority for, for their own, own selfish ambition, for their own personal pref preference, for their own wants and desires. And before you allow your mind to go to current or previous politicians, James is writing to a church. He's writing to people like you and he's saying, let's just hold up the mirror. Is there anywhere in my life where I got bitter envy, where I'm, I'm being jealous. I'm, I'm like that toxic water with toxins banging around the inside. Or, or is there anywhere in my life where I'm, I have self-serving motives? Like I'm doing this, it looks good, but I'm really doing it just for, for myself. He's saying, just don't deny that. Like be very, very aware of that. Don't boast about it, but don't deny that truth. We gotta be, be very honest about, about those things. And here's how this works out. Here's, in times of chaos, in times when it feels like everything in life is, is just swirling out of control around me. I, unfortunately, I know this from personal experience. When it, when it feels like there's nothing in my life I can control, for some reason I gravitate to clinging to anger. I cling to bitterness. I cling to resentment. Because I feel like you've taken control out of everything else in my life, but you're not gonna take this from me. And James is just saying, if you operate from that posture, you're operating from an earthly wisdom. It's not wisdom from God. He goes on to say this, such wisdom, it does not come down from heaven. That kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find chaos. There you find disorder and every evil practice. And some people choose to operate their life from this kind of wisdom. And as a result, here's what they have, disorder, chaos. They're never settled in their heart. They're never content in life. They're always looking for grass to be greener somewhere else. It's never okay. 
But God offers you a different kind of wisdom. He offers his people a wisdom from above and and it's the opposite of this. It leads to abundant life. It leads to a flourishing kind of life where life is, is vibrant. But remember, wisdom is the spiritual capacity to see and evaluate life and to behave from God's point of view. And that's what God wants for your life. Here's what it says in James chapter one, five. So this is the week one of our series. We talked about this, but if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, because here's the deal. He's gonna give it to you generously without fault. Aren't you glad for that? Because if there was a bunch of qualifiers, like if you're just going to look for, I got plenty of faults, I'm disqualified. But he's not, he's going to give it to you without looking for fault. It'll be given to you. So God desires for us to live with wisdom from above. So we've seen wisdom from below and that, that, that leads to a life none of us want. But here's wisdom from above. And James talks about this in James 3, 17 through 18. It reads this. Uh, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then he closes out this section with a very interesting text, and we're gonna talk about it at the very end. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, the first thing that he says there is that here's characteristics of wisdom. Here's how, how we can live with, with wisdom from above. These can be characteristics of our life. This can kind of be a, a gauge to say, how am I doing? Am I living with, with, with earthly wisdom? Or am I living with wisdom from above? And here's how he, he defines wisdom from above. It's first of all pure. The wise have a, a pure heart, a pure heart. Uh, James would, would say this again in, in James 3, 17, but wisdom that comes from heaven, it's first. Like it's, it's not the second on the list. It's not the fifth on the list. It's the top. It's first of all, it's first of all pure. The first thing God wants to do is to deal with issues inside of, inside of our hearts. Uh, Jesus would say this in Matthew 5, 8. He would say, say, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Jesus is saying, you know what? The pure in heart, here's what they do. They come to God and say, say, God, is there anything impure in my life? God, is there any motive of my heart that is displeasing to you? Are there any toxins that just need to be removed? Things in my life that are not from you. The pure in heart, blessed are they, because they're going they're gonna to see God. Now, what, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Like, what does that even mean? Well, some of you watching this, maybe you have a, a piece of jewelry that's, that's pure gold. Uh, that metal has gone through this, this refining process and it's, it's removed all the impurities. It's removed all the toxins. It's removed all the contaminants. And now you have a piece of jewelry that's like 99% or 100% pure gold. Uh, uh, hopefully all of us enjoy a little pure water uh, from time to time. Uh, we lived in the, the state of Nevada in Las Vegas. The, the water, the public water was not good, but you could taste a very distinct difference from the water out of the tap versus a, a purified water bottle. I mean, it, it just, it's good. The toxins have been removed. The, the, the nasty stuff has been, been taken out. It's removed all the foreign objects and, and, and Jesus is saying, and James is saying like, like wisdom that comes from above, like it pursues that kind of life. 
It pursues a heart that says, God, I want my heart to be pure before you. Is there anything in me that, that, that is displeasing to you? Because, oh God, I want to be like you and you are pure. James would say this in, in James chapter four, uh, verse four. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Next week, we're going to be talking about this passage, but I, I just couldn't resist to, to slide it in here in, in context of this, of this text. It says this, uh, you adulterous people, and like before we get bent out of shape and super offended, like it is super strong language, I'll give you that. But, but what's an adulterous person? An adulterous person is simply someone who, who, is, who is married, but they got a little something on the side. Like, like they're committed to their spouse, but they also got this, this other thing going on. And James is saying to the church that you can love God and be committed to him and have this little something else going on on the side. And, and just like you and your, as your spouse, you wouldn't be excited if your spouse had something. God's like not, not super excited about that either. He says, you, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? And I don't know when the last time you used that word enmity, but it basically means to be a, an enemy, uh, to be at odds, to be hostile, to show hatred, uh, hatred towards God. Uh, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes. In other words, they're not there yet. But, it, but if we don't deal with some of the contaminants of our heart, it can lead us there. Anyone who, who, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy, an enemy of God. And again, he's writing to the church. Very strong words. And in light of the crazy year that is 2020 and now 2021 and is now just the normal reality that we, we live in, I think it's wise for us to simply ask this question, am I allowing anything impure into my heart? Am I allowing things that are toxic to me and the way that God created me to live, the way that he created me to flourish because he promised me abundant life. So if I'm not experiencing that, then maybe I'm allowing some stuff in that he never intended to be there. I think we need to grapple with this question. Matter of fact, I don't think we grapple with that question enough. And I think it's led us as a church and a society at large to all kinds of trouble. So, so grapple with that question. Now you don't need me to be your Holy Spirit. But it's, it's wise. The wise would ask, is it, is it wise for me to be watching this? Is it wise for me to be reading this right now? Is it wise for me to, to play that game? Is it, should I be viewing this content? You know, again, you don't need me to point, you, point out like a long list of do's and don'ts. That's not my job. The Holy Spirit's job will do that. He'll do that for you. The Bible says that the, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us. And I just believe right here, right now, as you ask that question, is there anything I'm allowing in my life that's impure? I just believe that God's highlighting some of that. And I'm just inviting you. Don't disregard that. Don't, don't ignore that, that prompting because wisdom, skilled living, is first of all pure. Now, we, we have a whole lot of uh, uh, sales tactics on ourselves. Like we can, we can sell ourselves into just about anything. Maybe, maybe that's not true of you. Maybe it's just true of me. But I sell myself on stupid ideas all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not that bad. Like, I mean, like, it's not that much, you know, or at least I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so or, 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 or it's just, I just do it once in a while or at least, you know, I'm not like that. After all, it's just a, just a little bit. I'm just going to do it a little bit. 
And we, we sell ourselves into some of these very poor, poor choices. It reminds me of this boy who had invited some buddies over uh, to his house. And uh, he talked to his mom, said, Mom, hey, while well, my buddies are over, we'd love to watch this movie. Uh, and now, Mom, like, I know it's an R-rated movie. And Mom, I know you don't really allow me to watch stuff like that. And, uh, but Mom, I want you to know, uh, my buddies have all watched it with their parents. They've, all, they've already seen it. So like their parents don't mind. Uh, and, and matter of fact, that Johnny told me like, there's only one scene that's kind of, kind of bad. And so mom, it's, just, it's just a little bit. Like it's just, just a little bit. It's not, there's not much, just a, just a little bad stuff in there. And much to his, his surprise, his mom said, well, absolutely, you guys can for sure go, go watch it. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll bake you guys some brownies. Uh, for your movie. So you just go play. I'll get the brownies started. When the brownies are ready, we can start that movie and you guys can have a snack and, and watch a movie. And the boy was shocked. He ran off, told his buddies like, game on. We get to watch this movie. It's going to be great. So his mom starts whipping up some of that, that brownie mix and, and getting it all prepared. And the family had this little teacup Yorkie. Uh, and, uh, and in the backyard, the teacup Yorkie would go do, go do the business, right? And so the mom thought, well, it's just a little bit. So I'll go pick up a little bit and I'm just going to making the brownies, puts it in the oven and, and pulls them out. They smell, they smell great. Uh, she goes, Hey boys, time for the movie. Let's go. Let's go watch the movie. And, uh, and so they're, they're, they're like, I can't believe Miles let me do this. This is awesome. And she's serving the brownies. They all have it. And like the movie's starting. And, uh, and she's like, oh, boys, hey, just quick FYI. I put a little something special in those, those brownies for it. Now, now, don't worry about it. It's not much. Like you're probably not even going to taste it. I just put just, just a little bit. I just put a little bit in there. And, uh, and how many of you know a little poop goes a long way? Not just for your brownies, but for your life. And we can sell ourselves. It's just a little bit. It's not, it's not that bad. But I'm just saying a little bit can contaminate the, the whole batch. And James would say this in James 4.8. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Like he's willing to reconcile. Like he's willing to, to, to pull us back into relationship, in other words. And then he says this, but you have a part to play. He says, now wash your hands, you sinners, and, and purify your hearts, for your loyalties have been divided between God and the world. And remember, James is writing to the church. Now, again, I'm not going to tell you where your loyalties have been divided between God and the world. I'm just simply inviting you to ask this question and prayerfully consider how much of the world am I willing to allow into my life? I think it's a good question for us to ask if we're going to live with wisdom. And in the chat, everyone said amen or oh me, but here we go, next point. Uh, point number two, the wise love peace. If we're gonna live with wisdom from above, we gotta be lovers of peace. James would go on to say this. He would say, but wisdom that comes from heaven is peace loving. Now, I think we live in a time when, when people just like to argue for sport. Like some people are just looking for something wrong to point out in your life. I feel like I've received more, more critiques, more strong encouragements uh, than I ever have in my life in this season. Uh, we see this everywhere. You turn on the news. 
Like, like you turn on Fox News and you turn on CNN and you're gonna get very different points of view and they're gonna pounce on one thing that the other says that's out of bounds, never relenting, ne never settling at a peaceful agreement. And God help us if we post anything on social media, right? You could post a picture of, I love this beautiful red rose. And all of a sudden it's like, that rose isn't red, it's blue. And wow, and it's like, wait a minute. I was just trying to post a flower. You know, it's, we become contrarian, argumentative, hostile. And unfortunately, I don't think it's just society at large. I think it's, it's crept in here. I think it's crept into, into our homes. I think it's crept into the church. But James would say, wisdom that comes from above is peace-loving. James will go on to say this in James uh, chapter 1, verse 20. He says, human anger does not produce the righteous life God desires. Like, we got to get this in check. Uh, Proverbs 14, 29 would say this. The wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. Here's another one for you. Proverbs 20, verse 3, it says, it's the mark of good character to avert quarrels. It's the mark of good character to say, you know what? I could pick at that. I could poke at that. I could argue that, but I'm just going to avoid the fight altogether. It's a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools, they just love to fight. And I'm just saying, we can't live with wisdom from heaven and be that kind of people. Now, I started making a list of arguments and fights that I've been in. And whenever I, I try to bring you teaching like this and challenge you to examine your heart, I, I try to examine my heart and my life as well. And, and I try to find like a thread, like, was there a commonality? Do I have a trigger that just sets me off? When someone says something like this, what's my trigger? And you know what I found like in all the arguments, and I, I'm not a super argumentative, I used to be super argument. I, I'd be willing to throw down and fight the drop of a hat back in the day. Like I got scars on my wrist from fighting. That, that's the old Tim. But, but now I, I would like to think I'm not super argumentative. But here's the common thread from before I knew Jesus or now that I do know Jesus. Here's the common thread of every argument I've ever been in. And that is that this guy was there. I was present for every one of them. And there wasn't, besides that, there's not really a whole lot of commonality. But I was there. And I'm guessing as you examine your heart, your life of every argument you've ever been in, I bet you were present for every one of them as well. And, and I just think it's an invitation to examine our hearts, like maybe the issue's not always out there. Maybe there's something banging around the inside that just makes us contentious. And that's something we have to wrestle to the ground. Now, please hear me on this. I, I am not saying that I am not for conflict resolution. I am for conflict resolution. Matter of fact, if you have an issue with someone that is unresolved, it is the right thing for you to do to talk to that individual and try to work out those differences. But here's what I've also found. It takes two people to have a resolution. It takes two people willing to reason together to get on the same page. And sometimes conflict resolution isn't possible. And so perhaps conflict revolution is necessary. And here's what that is. It's where I say, God, my situation doesn't seem to be changing. God, those people aren't budging. 
And so Jesus, I just need you to change my heart. If, if they're not gonna change, would you change me? If my situation's not gonna change, could you help me? Because maybe I am the one that you're trying to work on here. Here's another fill in the blank for you note takers. Conflict cannot continue without my participation and wisdom that comes from heaven, it loves peace. Be someone who loves peace, smash quarrels quickly. It was Abraham Lincoln who said this, do, not, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Let's be people who deploy tactics of peace. Abraham Lincoln was navigating a divided nation, a polarized society, similar to what you live in today. And do you not destroy your enemies when you make them your friends? Let's be people who are peace loving. Third characteristic of wisdom from heaven is that it is considerate. The wise are considerate. Here's what James would say in uh, James chapter three. It says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate. And here's what that word means. It, to be considerate means that you consider it. In other words, you live life from this posture that says, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I'm not always right. Maybe I should be quick to listen and slow to speak because maybe they have a point of view that I haven't considered. Maybe I should consider it. Uh, it was John Maxwell who said this, uh, give your thoughts a break, you already thank them. <laughs> I like that, like let's just consider. Maybe there's a different perspective. Let's just consider, maybe there is a better option. Let's be people who are considerate towards others and let's be people who listen before we're ready to share our our rebuttal, let's be considerate. Uh, the fourth thing that James would say, the fourth characteristic of wisdom from heaven is that the wise are willing to yield. The wise are willing to yield. Here's what it says in the verse. It says, uh, but wisdom that comes from heaven is submissive, submissive. I actually think that's an unfortunate translation from from, from the Greek, and the, your New Testament was written in Greek, um, but uh, I think it's more accurately translated willing to yield. This verse could literally be translated uh, like this. Check this out. Wisdom that comes from heaven gives way to what is most beneficial for others. I'm willing to yield my preferences for what is most beneficial for everyone else around me. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise, they're willing to listen. They're willing to yield. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I just, I actually hate watching the news. Like I, I'll watch the news for a while and then to use uh, Joy's terminology, I get wrapped around the axle. Like I get, watching the news wraps me around the axle. And then so I'm like, I'm just going to take a break. I'm not going to watch the news. Uh, Tiffany will watch the news in spurts as well. And so whenever our spurts are off, I'm like, gosh, can we just turn off the news? I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting wrapped around the axle. Here's why I hate watching the news. Because I've actually never seen this happen. I've never seen two intelligent people on CNN or Fox News, whatever news channel you watch, I've never, never seen it on any platform, where people came together with opposing views and said, wow, great, you made a great case. Matter of fact, I was wrong. You're, you have the right idea, let's go with your idea. Like they're, they're not willing to reason together. 
It's just arguing and I, here, I'm digging in my heels. Here's my position and you're wrong. And because you're wrong, then, then you're this and you're that. And it just, it just gets toxic. And I'm like, that's draining to me. Like what's on fire today? I, I, who cares? Not who cares, that's the wrong terminology, but let's be reasoning, let's be reasonable people. Let's be willing to yield. If someone else has a better idea, let's be, you know what, you're right. You're right, good, good on you. Like that's, that's right. Now, we probably will never see that happen on any news platform. We probably won't see that happen in DC, but God forbid it doesn't happen in the house of God. God forbid it doesn't happen among the people of God. The wisdom that God has for you, for me, it's evident by a lifestyle that says, you know what, I'm willing, I'm willing to yield because you're, I think you're right. Here's the question I want you to consider. Am I reasonable? Like, I think we need to wrestle with, am I a reasonable person? Am I willing to be wrong? Am I willing to yield? Am I willing to give way to what is most beneficial to others? Because wisdom that comes from God does. Fifth observation that James gives us, the wise minimize the mistakes of others. The wise minimize the mistakes of others. Here's how James words it. But, but the wisdom, now this is wisdom, remember it's, it's practical, skilled living. The, this, the skilled living that comes from heaven is full of mercy and good fruit. Mercy is simply withholding from someone what they rightfully deserve. You did this, you wronged me, and I should, but, I, but I'm not. I'm going to give you mercy. The wisdom that comes from heaven is full of that. Why? Because your heavenly father is full of that. He's full of mercy. Aren't you thankful for mercy in your life? The wise minimize the mistakes of others. Here, here's, here's why I think this is so crucial. James, uh, going back a chapter now to, to James 2, verses 12 through 13. Uh, James implores the church, people like you and me. He says this, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, whatever standard, whatever plumb lines you have to size people up around you, those in your life who perhaps have wronged you, whatever you use to judge others, like it's like, well, back at you. Speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And I don't know about you, but I just can't afford to, to disqualify myself as a candidate for mercy because I've made a whole lot of mistakes, not just in years past, in re recent history. I make mistakes and God, I need your mercy. And I don't wanna disqualify myself from your mercy by withholding mercy from others because mercy, it triumphs over judgment. I would just submit this, perhaps when in doubt, we should forgive. Perhaps when in doubt, we should let them off the hook. Here's where I landed, here's, here's the way I, I'd phrase it. I'd rather stand before God having loved too much than having judged too harshly. I'd rather, just, I'd rather just be erring on the side of grace so that whenever I stand before God and say, Tim, you are way too gracious. I don't think it's possible because I know how gracious he's been to me. But my tendency is to be too harsh. 
My tendency is to judge too quickly. And oh God, he gives us wisdom from above so we can extend mercy. Bear good fruit, love mercy. Let's err on loving too much than judging too harshly. May that be the mark of the church. We've got it wrong for far too long. Let's turn the tide today. There was a couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, at their 50th wedding anniversary, uh, one of the grandkids asked the grandma, what's the secret? 50 years, grandma, like give us some wisdom for how we too could have vibrant marriages for over 50 years, 50, 50 years. And the grandma was like, well, that's, that's easy. Before me and your grandpa got married, uh, I made a list of 10 things that your grandpa does that irritate the fire out of me. Like I knew, before I even said yes to this man, I knew he was flawed. I knew he had mistakes. And I, made, I, I just made a list, 10 things that, that irritate me about your grandpa. And I just decided anytime he does one of those 10 things, I'm gonna overlook it. I'm gonna let it go like water off a duck's back. I'm just not even gonna worry about it. Any of those 10 things. And, and the other grandson that was there said, wow, that's awesome about grandpa. Like grandma, tell me, tell me what are the 10 things? And she said, you know, I actually never wrote them down. And so anytime your grandpa did something that irritated me, I just said, well, lucky for him. That's one of them. And I let it go. I let it go. For 50 years, she loved mercy. And it led to a vibrant, lifelong relationship. And here's a question I want us to grapple with. What do I need to stop bringing up? What is it that I just need to extend a little mercy and just say, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. Lucky for him, that's one of the 10. I, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to be a person that, that loves, loves mercy. I stop bringing it up. Finally, here it is. Uh, number six, the wise are authentic. The wise, they're authentic. And here's what James would say in James chapter three. He says, but wisdom, in other words, but, but skilled living that comes from heaven is impartial and sincere. It's impartial and it's sincere. Both of these words combined make up this, this word that in our English language, hypocrite. And, and here's what was taking place in this culture. In Greek culture, a hypocrite wasn't just a, a word that they used to describe someone. A, a hypocrite was a legitimate character. In, in Greek performances, in, in the arts, they wouldn't have all these actors. So there'd be an individual, uh, maybe it's comprised of like four actors on stage, but they'd all wear like six different kinds of masks. And they, they would be the same actor, but they'd be, play different characters at different times. They'd, they'd wear these masks. And, and those became known as hypocrites. Well, the New Testament borrows on that imagery and, and he says, hey, you know what? Wisdom that comes from heaven, it's willing to remove the mask. It's impartial, it's sincere. It's without, it's without mask, it's without hypocrisy. Wisdom, skilled living that comes from heaven is willing to remove the mask and if we're, we're masking who we really are in front of others. We're just not in a healthy place. We all need to have, have at least one person. You've heard me say this before, and I'm gonna keep banging the drum on this because it's true, it's good for your soul. Who's one person in your life who knows everything about you? 
who's one person who you've removed every single mask in front of. You're impartial with them. You're sincere with them. You're authentic with them. There's no hypocrisy in that relationship. Uh, That's why we love community groups here. We we love groups. We love doing life with people because it puts us in proximity with other people where we can let down the mask. And at this point in in our group semester, hopefully you've maybe identified one or two people who perhaps you could remove the mask with. And I would encourage you at this, at this point in the year, identify one or two people and just test the waters. I'm not saying air all your dirty laundry because you may not know them like that. It requires a foundation of trust and I get that. But, but, but tiptoe into that water. And if you're like, I don't think there's anyone in my group that I can talk to like that. Uh, or maybe there's no one in my life who I can reveal. Because if they knew what I did, I don't know if we'd ever be the same. And I realize that for a lot of people and in the church, in society, that's where you are. And, and I, I'm so excited because our, our, our team here at Central has done a lot of legwork to identify some, some licensed professionals, some counselors and therapists that are trustworthy in our community that we would encourage you to go see. And that's not a stigma. That, here's, here's what I love about counselors. I go see a counselor often, and here's why. Because I'm paying him to keep his mouth shut. Like there's some stuff I just don't want some people to know, but I'm paying him, I'm paying her. Like it's not going anywhere. Now you can have the same luxury, but, but whether it's a counselor, whether it's someone in your group, whether it's your spouse, whether it's, it's a buddy, we all need people in our life who we can be impartial with and sincere. We're gonna, we're gonna remove the mask. Now here's the question I want you to consider in all of that. Here it is, what am I hiding? Because wisdom that comes from heaven comes out of hiding. It says, you know what, this is who I am. And here's why people, wisdom that comes from heaven, followers of Jesus should be able to get this better than anyone else. Because our our God-given identity trumps what anyone else can put on us. We've already received value, recognition, our identity. It's anchored in him. Therefore, I can be vulnerable with you. Therefore, there should be at least someone in your life who you come out of hiding with. You say, this is who I am. Now in all of this, perhaps you've asked this question. I thought, why does God want us to be wise? Like, why does he, why does he invest this list here in James? Why why is, why is this so important? And maybe better yet, why, why does James close with verse 18? It says this in, in James 3, verse 18. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It almost feels like out of place in the context of what James is just talking about. But as I, I, I leaned in a little bit here and I, I studied it, and I think James had this image in mind that, that this scattered church that he was trying to pastor would be peacemakers. And while they couldn't gather in a building, they would go out sowing peace everywhere they went. Here's a little tranquility. Here's a little bit of hope. Here's a little bit of peace. Everywhere they go, they're dropping seeds of peace. Everywhere they go. And for you, for me, tomorrow, when you go to work, today, when you log off, when you're around your family, let's be peacemakers who sow 
peace. We sow steadfastness. We sow tranquility. We sow calmness. We sow peace everywhere we go. We bless people with peace. And in doing so, raise a harvest of righteousness. That's what wisdom provides. It's not about just a lifestyle, it's about a revolution. It's about a, a changing the landscape of society as we know it, infecting society with peace. That's your call. That's why wisdom's required. Today you can make a choice. I'm gonna live my life with wisdom from above or wisdom from below. It's not just a cognitive decision, it's a skill for living. And James says it's available to you today. Let's pray. Well, God, we just thank you for peace. We thank you, God, for wisdom. And you said, Jesus, that if, if we, we ask you for wisdom, that you'll give it to us without finding fault. And God, looking at the list that, that James wrote, we want that. We want that to be characteristics of our life, the characteristics of, of our lifestyle. We, we want to be people who have pure hearts. We want to be, we want to be people who, who are peace-loving and considerate and submissive. We yield to other people, people who are full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Jesus, would you help us for those characteristics to be what the world around us says is true of your church? not because of the words we say, but because of the lifestyle we live. God, would you empower us to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.